0: I found this, maybe you have too, no one wants to be judged, but everybody wants to be a judge. <laughs> have you found that? Y- you know, we always, we kind of want to go, well, I don't think I judge people, and I don't like it when people judge me, but if somebody were to record your life the last week, it might be just suggesting that you played judge more than you thought. We're going to talk about that. You've heard people say, well, who are you to judge? Or they'll say something like, well, doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? Now, you've heard people say that, right? Uh, in fact, it's found in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with a, the with a tr- measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that's, that's a problem, Right? <laughs> But you know what? Here's the thing. Life really requires us to judge. Let me give you just a, a really uh, blatant example. Joseph Stalin killed 20 to 60 million people. Adolf Hitler killed 11 million people, including around 6 million Jews. Pol Pot. The prime minister of Cambodia killed between, and they don't even know, between 25 and 33% of his people. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that these men and some of these other dictators, murderers, executioners, didn't go to their grave without, without the idea that one day they will be brought before the king of kings and the great judge and be judged. We want that judgment. We cry out for that judgment. The families who lost people cry out for that judgment. Here's the thing, we can't have peace without judgment, can we? And we know there's a right and there's a wrong way to judge, right? We don't want to be that guy that that has the law, as Jesus said in one of his parables, don't be the guy that has the log in your eye when you're trying to get a speck of sawdust out of your friends. Don't be the holier-than-thou Pharisee. You know, Jesus kind of gives us that direction, but he doesn't say don't judge. He says be careful how you judge. it. when you judge, don't come with an attitude. So there seems like there's a right and wrong way to judge, doesn't there? In fact, Galatians says this, It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, it gives you the idea that you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you are confronting or coming before a brother and sister, should restore that person. And so the idea is not to condemn them and to knock them down, but to restore them. And by the way, the verse I'm reading has to do with Christians with Christians, not with Christians and not Christian people who aren't Christians. But the last word is really important. He says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I've found it many times when people are judging me, it's not done very gently or lovingly or carefully or prayerfully. Have you found the same way? Uh, This weekend, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus is going to be unjustly judged ...by people who are looking for a way to condemn him. They're they're not going to give him a fair trial. The amazing thing is we're going to see that his judgment becomes our freedom. His judgment becomes our freedom. So let's jump into the text. Uh, Pull your notes out. On the front of the, the bulletin you have the notes. It's Mark 14 and we're going to start at verse 53. Mark 14 verse 53. Let me read it to you as we go through this. They took Jesus to the high priest... And all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of law came together. Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. Now it's interesting, in the Greek it says he warmed himself by the fire. And the, the, the one Greek word they use for fire is poor. Um, and they don't use that word, they use the word light. Light. Which gives the idea that the fire really, the, the, what, the, what Mark is trying to say, is the, it wasn't the heat of the fire, it was the light of the fire. That people are going to recognize Peter. <laughs> and, and, and so a kind of interesting interesting little, little thing. And then it goes on to say, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and they gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days build, it a, build another not made with human hands. It even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What, what is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent And gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Now this is where we get into the Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, which I'm going to read in a minute. He asked, the high priest says, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. What do we need? Any? Why do we need any more witnesses? He said, "You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think?" They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him, and they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesize. And the guards took him and beat him. So the trial of Jesus was a sham from the beginning. Um, the Talmud, and that's the body of the Jewish ceremonial and civil law basically said that Jesus was supposed to have a defense attorney. He had no attorney. The second thing that we know is in a capital case like this one, uh, a guilty vote could not be pronounced on the same day as the person was brought in. They wanted the judges to sleep on it overnight. There was no sleeping overnight. This was a They was brought in at night, and it was with within hours judgment was rendered. There was no sleeping on it at all. The other thing that we learn is that there had to be at least two witnesses, and they had to be in complete agreement. If they were not in complete agreement, if their facts varied at all, the, the the prisoner was to be released immediately. And from the text, we see that their, their 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 testimony varied widely. They did they weren't even on the same page. Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin, and uh, the Sanhedrin was rarely were, would rarely uh, push for the death penalty. Very rarely would they do it. In fact, as you read uh, from uh, the Mishnah. It says this, it says, A Sanhedrin, which as often as once in seven years condemns a man to death, is a slaughterhouse. So you see how rare this was supposed to be. If you do it once in seven years, it's a slaughterhouse. But see, they began looking for a way to take Jesus down. They didn't assemble looking for justice. They were looking... For a way to put Jesus to death. It says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus. So they could put him to death. But they did not find any. In the end they withheld justice and showed malice towards Jesus. It says some began to spit upon him. They blindfolded him. And they struck him with their fists. Now let's talk a little bit about that phrase where Jesus calls himself the son of man. Uh, This title, Son of Man, is used in the Old Testament, as I said before, Psalm 110 and other places. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You might want to turn there very quickly. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. Let me just read those because I think it's important. Because it's describing the Messiah. This is what really put the the crowd and the high priest off. This is what really uh, caused them to be very upset. And this is what it says. Let me read it to you. This is Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked out, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. That's what Jesus described, right? You'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds, right? He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and people of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, I am that Messiah that everyone will worship, and one day I will judge all the nations. So you could understand why the high priest was upset. Jesus was essentially saying to the religious leaders of his day, though you think you are my judges, actually I am yours. You should be standing before me, not me before you. Mark is showing us that the one who is on trial really is the judge. And the ones who are bringing the trial are the ones who should be on trial And they refused to see the evidence before him. They refused to see his sinless life, the miracles and healings, his incomparable teaching. They had missed the Messiah. But their eyes were blinded. Instead of bowing down before him, they sought to execute him as a common criminal on a cross. You see, and this is the first point from your outline. Jesus is the judge who was judged for you. Okay, Jesus is the judge who was judged for you. So the first point is this. If you know he is the judge, you will not judge others. This is where it applies to us. Because we can go away and say, well, that was good. We understand what the high priest happened. We understand it wasn't a fair trial. And we understand this part of the, the uh, passion of Jesus, we call it. The uh, question is, why do we judge others? I think we do it because we feel somehow superior to them or better. Or we want to feel better. But at the heart of the gospel, it's, it is Jesus who lovingly gave up his infinite power in sacrificial service for those who disagreed and opposed him and finally crucified him. And Even when he's hanging on the cross, what were, the la- what were some of the last words that Jesus spoke? He speaks as he's looking to the people who are crucifying him and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, right? You know, Christians must understand that we're not saved by our performance. We bring nothing to the table. We are helpless and hopelessly lost. But we are rescued because the king of kings left his throne, willingly gave up his life, taking on the punishment and God's wrath on a cruel cross. You see, when we understand the gospel correctly we we gain a new desire and ability to look at anyone and show them fairness, love, dignity, and respect. No matter what they have done, no matter how they look, no matter uh, how they live, no matter what they believe, we say, but I was forgiven. And if I've received that kind of forgiveness, how am I not going to forgive someone else? You see, When we clearly understand the gospel, when we see that Jesus was ju- the judge who was judged for me, we lose our own self-righteousness and we stop being judgmental towards people who are not like us. And I think this is something that the Christian church has forgotten. Or they, maybe they never learned. Because I don't see Christians as being seen by the world around them or by other Christians as being for, forgiving. It's not the first thing that pops into people's heads when they hear about Christians. Here's the second point. If you know he is the judge, you will forgive others. If you know he's the judge, you will forgive others. Do you, just stop for a minute. Do you have a hard time forgiving people sometimes? Maybe all the time. <laughs> Maybe more than you admit. <laughs> I think if we're honest, we all say, yeah, there are times that I have struggled to, to forgive people. But you see, if Jesus is judged in your place, you're going to. if you see Jesus as being judged in your place, taking your wrath, taking your punishment... Being judged, when you should be the one being judged, you are more forgiving with the people who have wronged you. Think about this for a minute. Is there somebody in your life who wronged you recently? Is it, is it to the point where you have dwelt on this for a long period of time and you can't bring yourself to forgive this person? You just struggle with this whole thing of forgiveness. You say, well, how do I know? How how do I know if I've forgiven somebody? Well, you'll know you'll know you haven't forgiven them if you wish bad things happen to them. Like when you hear bad news about somebody you care about, you go, oh, that's that's terrible. I, right? what can I do to help? Can I pray? What, when it's somebody that you don't like or somebody who's harmed you, you go, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that's not cool. <laughs> This is, actually, this is one of the signs of bitterness when you go, hey, I hope they get theirs, and if if I can be part of that, that wouldn't be bad either. So the question is, well, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? You basically remember that Jesus has every right to hold a grudge against you and me, but he doesn't. He has every right to judge us, but he doesn't. Jesus gave up his own judgment seat to take our judgment. This is one of the most amazing things as you read through the scriptures. That the one that Daniel talks about is the one who's coming in the clouds, the power, the ancient of days authority. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. And yet he's the one who came as the servant, as a baby in a manger. He humbled himself to the point of death, death on the cross. If Jesus could take your judgment, we can surely absorb the debt of others who have hurt or offended us. And and after all, isn't this what we're called to do in Scripture? In fact, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ, God forgives you. So you say, well, how, how, how should I forgive a person? Well, in the same way that Christ forgave you. Well, that's kind of like put the bar way up, but that's it. I mean, that's it. and it's not like, well, they were really mean, or they did this, or, you know, it's none of that. Here's the third point in your notes. If you know he's the judge, you will not judge yourself. Now, some people, and, and my boys, some of them were different, and maybe your kids were too, some of my boys needed a kick in the butt. Some of them needed an arm around the shoulder. You know, as a parent, you got to figure that out with your kids. Some kids are motivated when you push, push, push. Some kids are motivated when you hug, hug, hug. you got to know the difference. And sometimes each kid, you need a little of both, and you need to know when you do, need to do What? So what I'm going to do here is instead of being the pastor that many sermons I've heard and many sermons I probably preached, instead of being the kick you in the butt, I'm going to be an arm around your shoulder for a few minutes. So enjoy it while it lasts. (laughs) Some of you are too hard on yourselves, constantly beating yourself up over little things. You may be perfectionists. you may be firstborn, don't know what your issue is. But you're hard on yourselves. You compare yourselves to others because you don't measure up. So you get down on yourself. And you sit in the judgment seat of your life. Over little things. Maybe over big things. But a lot of times it's over little things. But here's the thing. There's only one person that's worthy to sit in the judgment seat over you. And it's not you. It's Jesus. He's the only one who has the right to condemn or judge you. But he doesn't that's the amazing thing the judge was judged for you instead of judging you he took your judgment that's essentially what's happening here as he goes before the religious leaders he's being judged for you and for me and he's going to take the judgment for us he's the judge who was judged for you paul says something remarkable and and this uh, will be up on the screen here in a minute. First Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You now, this is interesting. Paul's saying a few really important things that we all need to hear. He's saying, number one, I don't care what you think. I don't get my self-image from you. And most of us say, yeah, I get that. And um, I'm okay on that. I get that. But he goes further than that. He says, my conscience is clear. But that doesn't make him innocent. He says, but that doesn't make me innocent just because my conscience is clear. What does he mean? What is he saying? He's saying, well, I feel pretty good about myself. Well, that's... That could be a little deceiving because I think that some of these guys like Stalin and Pol Pot and Hitler kind of walked around feeling good about themselves, too. The heart of what he's saying is only the Lord has the right to judge me and judge my life. I don't. Not even I have the right to do that. Why? Because my judgment is biased either for or against me. In other words, your judgment is skewed and so is mine. We don't want to admit it, but it's true. There's a disconnect between what we see or what we think we see and what other people around us see. Right? You, you know your judgment is, is, is not always unbiased, right? You understand that. Not just with others, but with yourself. That's why you can go and do things in your life and then condemn other people for the same thing. That's why you can see that and not see you're doing the same thing they're doing. Is because you're not unbiased. Essentially what Paul is saying is, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I only care what Jesus thinks. So in Jesus, my judgment day, your judgment day is over. It's in the past. All of the bad things I deserve are gone. And the verdict is already in. The trial is over and my self-recrimination should also be over. This is a very powerful thing that Paul is saying because we feel that when we beat ourselves up, when we get on our judgment seat and condemn ourselves unjustly because we're biased, we think we're doing something very Christian-like. We're not. What is the verdict that Jesus renders? Well, the verdict is that he loves, accepts, and forgives us, isn't it? Isn't that the verdict? So here's the thing. Some of you need to get off the judgment seat and allow the judge who was judged for you to sit in his seat. The problem is that we, as we don't judge other people fairly because we're biased, we don't judge ourselves fairly because we're biased. And the thing about it is we don't, we don't smell our own stink. We don't see our own errors. Other people can see it, but how often do we allow people to really honestly give us input, right? I mean, when was the last time you said said to another person in your life, in your sphere of influence, hey, if you see me doing things or saying things that are inconsistent or hypocritical or whatever, would you please point that out? I love how young kids do that. (laughs) as a parent have you ever had this happen where you tell your kids not to do something and you go do it and they'll say mommy daddy I thought that we weren't supposed to do that and what do you do you do one of two things you either say you're right mommy daddy was wrong we shouldn't do that but more likely what we say is well, I'm a mommy or I'm a daddy, and mommy and daddies get to do that. What a horrible thing to say to our kids. And we wonder why they grow up and they're little hypocrites. They learned it from the masters. It's true. Some of you, though, just need to get off the judgment seat and allow the judge who is judged for you to sit in his seat. You see, that's essentially what Jesus is saying to his accusers. I am the judge who should be judging you. But instead of judging you, I'm going to take your judgment. By the way, it's very interesting in that passage. It doesn't, when you, as you read through it, it doesn't give the impression that everyone in the room was against Jesus. Many were. But we know there were some that weren't. Here's the last point. If we know he is the judge, you will know he suffers with us. So a number of years ago, I struggled through back pain. And I was miserable for about two weeks. And it lasted almost a month. And I don't know what I did, but it's not like I lifted wrong, not use your legs or any of that. But I did something. I tweaked my back. And I remember... like it was yesterday, it was five years ago or more, and I remember laying on our bed, and I remember a muscle spasm that was coming, and they always tell you, you got to relax. If you tighten up, it'll be worse. What do you do? (laughs) You tighten up, (laughs) And, and I, I, I was literally crying. It was so much pain, and it was like Carol somehow got me to the to the uh, the care the uh, er and i remember that uh, the doctor there said we're going to give you this shot and this is going to within 20 minutes and within a half an hour this will be taken care of uh a no it wasn't (laughs) and it didn't seem like it helped at all And uh, the end of the story is my back got better through exercises and I don't still to this day know what happened. But here's what I learned. Before that, people would say to me, would you pray for me, Pastor? I'm having trouble with my back. And I'd say, yes, I will. Let's pray right now. And I'd pray for that. And I was sincere as I prayed for their backs. Then, after this, I had people come up to me and say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? And I said, what is it? My back. I said, tell me about it. I was all over it. I was like, how can I pray? You know, I was like, I had experienced some of the pain that I expected they were going through. And all of a sudden, that became personal with me. All of a sudden, I said, I'm on top of this. When I hear people talk about back pain, all of a sudden, it's like, boom. You have different issues that you've been through that when you hear them all of a sudden your ears perk up and you understand the pain you understand the suffering you understand the betrayal you understand that you have been there you've experienced it you know what they're talking about and when you hear somebody do that you understand their suffering jesus can identify with our suffering because he suffered he can identify with us when we're betrayed or abandoned because we, he was abandoned and betrayed. He can identify with our temptation because he was tempted. He again identify with people who are misunderstood by people they love because he was misunderstood by his own family. He can understand physical pain because he went through one of the worst ways that a person could ever be executed. He understands what it is when it doesn't seem like it but everybody has abandoned you and no one's in your corner when you look to your corner it's empty in other words jesus doesn't just suffer for us he suffers with us when you pray to god when you pray to jesus and say jesus i'm struggling because i feel abandoned or lonely or hungry or upset or betrayed or physically you're 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 speaking to someone who knows what you're going through he's been there he's done that he doesn't just understand he under he he is there i like what john stott says he's written a, a really great book on the cross of christ and he says this I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as the God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? And His answer is, you can't. In other words, what he's saying is, I love the fact that God got down and dirty with us. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself. and Became a man. And suffered and died on a cross. You see Jesus doesn't just suffer for us. He suffers with us. So when you bring your prayers to God. You're not talking to somebody who is immune. Or doesn't understand or doesn't get it. You're talking to somebody who. Who understands every aspect of being a human being and suffering and betrayal and pain and suffering and everything. Now, here's the, the, the last couple of things I want to share with you. We started talking about this idea of judging and judgment. And we understand that, that that life is filled with judgment, but we often do it in the wrong way, in the wrong manner, with the wrong attitude. We don't like to be judged, but we kind of like playing judge, and we shouldn't do that. But if there is a final, ultimate, divine judge, who we must all stand before one day, who knows everything about us, who knows our very thoughts and motives, and if we don't have the judge who is judged for us in our corner, we are in deep trouble. So a couple quick questions. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I don't mean do you know about him. Do you believe that God exists or you believe that Jesus was born a human being and is God's son? I'm asking, have you crossed that line of faith? As Jesus gave his life to you, have you given your life to Christ? Have you crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, I am I am. A sinner, I am lost, I bring nothing to the table, and unless you rescue me, I'm dead. I realize you came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for me, to become judged. And the judge became judged for me. You took my judgment. You took my punishment. You took my wrath. You took my sin on the cross. You died so that I could live. I realize you did that for me. And it was gifted to me. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But I realize you did it for me. And now, as you gave your life to me, I now give my life to you. And I cross that line of faith. That's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? Is he your judge who is judged for you or not? If not, one day you will stand before him, as will Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and everyone else, and their lives will be picked apart, and they will be judged forever. Let me tell you where we're going to go next weekend. Next week, we're going to discuss whether Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat. (laughs) Mark chapter 15, because now Jesus has gone before the religious leaders. Next weekend, he's going to go before the power of Rome. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time together this weekend, we thank you for Jesus, the judge who is judged for us. Help us to take at least one or two of the lessons from the message so it'll change our lives and how we treat others. Help us to f- remember how much we have been forgiven so that we can show forgiveness and grace and dignity to people who disagree with us, who are not like us, who are mean and unfair to us. May we allow you to be the judge over them and over us. Help us to have a clearer sight of of who we are by allowing your word to be a mirror to our hearts and our souls. Help us to be transparent, Father, because we allow your word to show us things that we can't see on our own. And thank you, Jesus, that one day the judge is coming and those who don't know him are in for big, big trouble. May that not be true of anyone here this weekend, at any of our campuses, or online. May we take it to heart. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.